Today's reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and, and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. <clears throat> they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of the people. And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Thank you, Pete. When I was young, I had a dream. dream wasn't quite as powerful or as inspiring as Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, but it was a dream nonetheless. My dream was to be a fireman. And I had a little plastic hat, red plastic hat, that I used to wear in a little uniform. And I was excited about the idea of being on an adventure, of being a hero, of saving someone's life, the flashing lights, all the stuff that goes on. I had a dream to be a firefighter and I was inspired. But my dream was a typical child, childish dream because it seemed to change every couple of weeks. I was inspired to be a firefighter. I was inspired to be a policeman. I was inspired to be a builder. I was inspired to be an AFL footballer. And I thought, as soon as I have my growth spurt, I'm going to be the next Tony Lockett. I'm still waiting for my growth spurt. And I never became Tony Lockett. There's one thing I never dreamed of being when I was a young person, that's a pastor. Sometimes I think God's in heaven chuckling. And uh, we think we've got it all mapped out and we know what we're going to do. But God often has plans that are bigger than us and they're often better than what we could ever dream up for ourselves anyway. And so when I, had, when I was young, I had dreams that frequently changed. But for the last decade or so, my dream has remained constant. My dream has been the same. And it's articulated beautifully in the passage that Peter just read from Acts chapter 2 this morning. The dream I have in life is to be part of a community that is God-honouring, spirit-led and Christ-centred. The last few weeks we've been talking about being a people of God on mission. And it's so important that we are on mission. We have the greatest news ever, don't we? The news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest news ever told. And so we would be almost criminal just to keep that to ourselves. And so we must be, as God commands, a people on mission. But at the same time, it's absolutely critical that we're part of a genuine Christian community. I've heard many people say, well, I don't need church. I can just go and be on mission myself. And yet I've never seen anyone do it effectively when they don't regularly plug into community. There is nothing that will turn off a new believer quicker than coming into a community that doesn't practice what it preaches. Now, if I'm honest, and I've got to be honest this morning, I've got to say I've never really feel like I've even come close to being part of a community like the one I read of in Acts chapter 2. I've had some great time in churches, had some wonderful seasons, I've had some powerful times in my life where God has done significant things in my heart. But when I stack it up against what I read in Acts chapter 2, it always seems to fall short. And I often ask myself the question, why? Many people I've read um, think it's always the church's fault. And so they sort of, you know, church hop from one place to another. I call them bouncers. They kind of bounce from one church to another. And they're not like bouncers at a nightclub. 
but they kind of got the same attitude, you know. They walk in like this, they look angry, they're looking for trouble and they can always work out what's going wrong. And they bounce from church to church and they're looking for the perfect church. They're on a search for a church where everything is just right. But these people are incredibly unlucky because they always seem to find the problems. Everywhere they go, church has issues. They don't like the music. They don't like the the style. It's too loud. It's too quiet. There's too much new stuff. There's too much old stuff. It's not enough for my kids. The preacher isn't deep enough. The preacher's too deep. doesn't meet my likes, my needs. The church doesn't do enough for me. The people aren't friendly enough. The people are too friendly. (laughs) Service is too short. Service is too long. The room's too hot. The room's too cold. And they always seem to find the problems with every church they go to. They're on the search for the perfect church, but these people aren't good at mass because they don't understand when you put any number of imperfect people together, it's never going to equal perfection. And I'm going to disappoint you this morning because it's going to happen inevitably, probably pretty soon. If you think this is the perfect church and you've landed in the place where everything's going to come true for you, let me disappoint you today and say we are not perfect. We are far from perfect. And the reason we're not perfect is because I'm here. And the reason we're not perfect is because you're here. And so don't, uh, don't get too up on the high horse there. We are here. We're part of an imperfect church. But the great thing about church is even though we're imperfect, even though at times we let one another down, even though we, we don't even meet our own expectations, let alone God, any church worth its salt will have grace at the very middle. Any church worth anything will have forgiveness at the middle. Any church that is worth anything will, will have those things because it has the cross at the centre, as we're reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us. The cross where mercy and compassion and forgiveness flows from on high into our lives so that it can flow to one another. Christian community is a powerful, powerful thing when there's grace at the centre. This week I read a blog from my former senior pastor called Rob Buckingham at Bayside Church and he wrote a blog called Seven Kinds of Christian. And I found it to be a very interesting blog. He talked about these seven Christians and every one of them started with the letter C. The first Christian he described was the convenience Christian, the person that comes to church and they treat the church and their spirituality like it's a local convenience store. They go when they need something, they grab what they need and they get out pretty quick. The second Christian he described is the consumer Christian. And believe me, churches are full of consumer Christians. They're the person who attends a church for what they'll get out of it and they'll continue coming as long as you meet all of their needs. The third Christian was the crisis Christian. Now, you know they're having a hard time when you see them because the only time they ever come to church is when there's an emergency. The crisis Christian. The fourth one was the crowd Christian. They love the social element of church. They love being in the multitude and so they come and hang out with their friends. The fifth one we spoke about the other week and that's the conspiracy Christian. They know the book of Revelation like the back of their hand. They know all the signs. They're reading all the signals and they know there's a lot of dark stuff happening in the world around them and they believe it's their God-given gift and calling of God to make sure that we know all about it. Then we have the condemning Christian, perhaps the most damaging one of all. His or her ministry is to guard the truth and expose and criticise anyone who deviates in even the slightest way to what they believe and what they know to be true. And then finally, there's the community Christian. And the community Christian is the person who reflects what Jesus came to build, his church. This morning, and the title of my message is simply Community. 
And the first six of those mindsets, and we've got to ask ourselves if that mindset characterises us in any way, the first six of those mindsets will always work towards diluting or perhaps even destroying Christian community as described in Acts chapter 2. Many of us crave genuine Christian community, but it seems like there's always something blocking it. It always seems like we're chasing the wind, like it's just out of reach. And we always think to ourselves, why is that? What is the blockage? This morning I'm here to reveal to you what the blockage is. The blockage is, and this might be hard to hear, the blockage is you. The blockage is me. The blockage is us. More to the point, the blockage is our sinful nature that always seems to gravitate towards self. You see, the problem is that we treat Christian community like we're the most important person in it. A genuine Christian community will never have self at the centre because it will always have Christ at the centre. Let me say that again. Genuine Christian community will never have self at the centre because it will always have Christ at the centre. In recent months, we've had um, what we call here in Pakenham earthquakes. My New Zealand friends who live in Australia, they just laugh in my face. In fact, when these earthquakes happen, they don't even roll over in bed. They think it's the garbage truck or maybe the wind outside. And they have a bit of a laugh and we call it earthquakes. But for us, we freak out, don't we? You know, there's a little bit of a shudder. I'm like, Kim, get the kids. Get out of here. We're going to die. The house is going to fall down. We're running for the front door. Meanwhile, my New Zealand friends are just sleeping in bed. So for them, it's minor. For us, it's a big deal. I mean, 3.3 on the Richter scale. That is major here in Pakenham. I feel like getting a T-shirt that says, I survived the earthquake on the front. And then on the back, it just says, by the grace of God. Maybe we should do that. But I was reading uh, with the recent earthquake um, that the epicentre of the most recent one was sort of underneath a property out the back of Pakenham somewhere. And the thing about an earthquake is that an earthquake has an epicentre. And the, more, uh, the closer you get to the epicentre, the more powerful you'll experience the impacts of that earthquake. And when it comes to Christian community, uh, Jesus needs to be the epicentre. He needs to be the centre of who we are and everything we do. And the closer we are to Christ individually and as a community, the more powerfully we'll experience the impact of a transformational, life-changing kind of Christian community. I dream of being a part of a community like I read in Acts chapter 2. kind of community that is radically generous. I mean, radically generous. And we read in verse 45 today that these people, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. These people were radically generous because they understood that everything they had hadn't come from themselves. Everything they had had come from God. And so they were open-handed rather than being tight-fisted. They were radically generous. They were willing to sacrifice for one another. They were willing to sacrifice for the world around them. And when Christ is the centre of our community, we will live those kind of lives. Because we'll be reminded regularly that we have a saviour who left the glory of heaven to live amongst us and to ultimately lay his life down so that you and I can be saved and can be forgiven and can have hope for the future. Jesus said these words. He said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I don't know about you, but I'm staggered when I hear those words from Jesus. He's the creator of the universe entering his own creation in the form of a human being. And here he comes, he says, I haven't come to be served. If anyone's worthy to be served, surely it's God Almighty. He says, I haven't come to be served. 
I've come to serve and to give my life. If it's good enough for Jesus, surely it's good enough for us. I dream to be part of a community that is radically generous. I dream of being part of a community that genuinely loves one another. And when Christ is at the centre of us as a community, we will be characterised as people of incredible love because we're reminded that Jesus has poured his love into our lives in the most incredible way, demonstrated most powerfully at the cross as he stretched out his hand on our behalf to die in our place. And we'll be reminded regularly that his love is so wide, so long, so high and so deep that we can never be separated from his love in a relationship with Jesus. And it's from that love, as it pours into our life, that we'll have the security, we'll have the confidence to love others deeply. I dream of being part of a community that's transparent and honest. You know, sometimes we come into church and we put on the plastic face. How are you going, Luke? Oh, man, awesome, so good. Falling apart on the inside, but I'm going to tell you I'm going really good. I'm just going to smile get through this next hour, go home and then deal with it myself. I dream of being part of a community that's transparent and honest. We're going through a difficult time. We can share our burdens, carry one another's burdens, journey together, love one another, support one another. I dream of being part of a community that is bold, faith-filled, a community that takes risks. And when Christ is at the centre, we will live those kind of lives because we'll understand that without him we can do nothing. But in in him we can do all things desire to be part of a community that is not individualistic or consumeristic, but rather selfless and servant-hearted, following in the footsteps of Jesus who made himself nothing so that you and I could be something. I desire to be part of a community where family of all ages grow together and honour one another, where kids are welcomed and taught about Jesus, remembering his, his words when he said, let the little children come unto me. I dream of being part of a community that eats together, meets together for worship, gathers in each other's homes where God does the miraculous in our midst. I dream of being part of a community where people to come to know him regularly. I dream of being part of a community where kingdom is valued more highly than our comfort, where we love the word of God, where we love to pray. But in order for all this to happen, we need to get out of the way. I have a dream and the dream comes from God. This passage paints a picture of what that dream could be like here at Follow Baptist Church. But if we want to experience this kind of community, we must become less and he must become more in our lives. This dream won't just happen. It will take buy-in, it will take sacrifice, it will take conviction from the word of God, it will take faith. It will be fueled by the Holy Spirit who unites us together and points us back to Christ as our centre. And it will take a word that is used in this passage but not often celebrated in our culture. It will take devotion. Listen to the way this passage starts. It says, they devoted themselves. The word devotion is a strong word. It's not the kind of word that sort of means, well, if I can feel like it, if I can be bothered, if I can sort of fit it into my schedule, then maybe I'll do it. No, no, it's a strong word. The dictionary says devotion is feeling or demonstrating loyalty or devotion. It's being ardent or devout. It's to be set apart. It's to be dedicated or consecrated to something. Now, we can easily look at this passage as a kind of formula. And I think a lot of people read Acts like that. They read through this passage and they go, well, if I just do those things, then add all those up and it will equal what happened there. And they think it's a formula that we can follow. 
But I really believe as we look at Acts and Acts chapter 2 particularly, I think it's descriptive of a community rather than prescriptive of a community. In the first week of the series, I talked about the dangers of an uh, idealistic and simplistic reading of the book of Acts and the danger of saying things like, we've just got to get back to what they did in the book of Acts. We talked about the fact that it was written over a 30-year period and so we need to keep the time factor in mind. But we also need to understand that the book of Acts was written to a very different culture and so we need to keep the culture factor in mind as well. There are many cultural differences between Jerusalem AD 33 and officer region in AD 2015. This book was written uh, in a time where uh, transport was very primitive. There was less travel. There was more gathered clumps of people who interacted together more regularly out of necessity as much as anything else. No electricity, no internet, different culture, different values, in some ways less poor time than us. And that is what community looked like for them in their culture. And so what should it look like for us in a culture where there's more study commitments, Seems like there's more travel commitments, more sporting commitments, the more modern distractions that we surround ourselves with. A different language, a different era, different nationalities, different geography. What are the things, and this is the real question, what are the things that translate despite our differences? What are the things that were important for them that are still important for us a couple of thousand years later? Well, I think the key in this passage is found in that word devotion. And the key is looking at the word devotion and working out what they were devoted to because I believe the things that they were devoted to are still the things that we need to be devoted to today if we want to experience Christian community. And so I want to focus on two main things today. And the first one is this, that they devoted themselves to the word of God. If you look at verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what would the apostles' teaching have been? Well, there's no doubt it would have been the Old Testament scriptures. It would have included Jesus' teaching that they had just seen and heard for themselves. And it would have also been the teaching of the apostles that we now have recorded in the New Testament. These people were devoted to the Bible. If you look at our vision booklet, you might have one of these, but you can get them at the hub after the service. You'll see in the vision booklet that one of our first key focuses as a church is that we... Um, want to be people who are into Bible teaching and training. And so here at Follow Baptist Church, we always want the Word of God to be central in everything that we do. It sounds so obvious, doesn't it? You might think, well, you're a church. Of course, you're going to have Bible at the centre. That's what you do as churches. That's what you live by. But it's actually not that obvious anymore. There are many churches that don't actually keep the Bible central anymore. It's almost like they're embarrassed. They kind of think, well, maybe it's a bit out of date now. Maybe I've got to sort of change it around and take a few verses out of context to somehow make it relevant for people. But I want to tell you that this book, the Word of God, is eternally relevant because of the person who spoke it. He's the same God yesterday, today, forever. This book is eternally relevant because it's spoken by the guy who holds the world in the palm of his hand. It's powerful. And so we need to keep this central. And many times you hear sermons and it's, very motivational and some very, I guess, gifted orators. But it seems to be more shaped by psychology and this obsession to be politically correct than being based on the Word of God. But here at Follow, even though we won't always get it right, we make no apologies for keeping the Bible central. 
We make no apologies for believing this is the literal word of God spoken to us. We make no apologies for seeing this word as something that we can live our lives on and follow every day. I was watching a Francis Chan video last night and uh, he was talking about this exact same thing. He was talking about what it means to be devoted to the word of God. And he was using the example of his kids. And he said, if I tell my kids to go and clean their room, I expect them to clean their room. And so if I go to them an hour later and they come back to me and I say, how did the room go? And they said, well, Dad, uh, we memorised everything you told us. We memorised it. We've gone, we memorised exactly what you told us to do. And in fact, not only did we memorise it, but we can tell you what it means in Greek. We learnt the Greek. Uh, Let me tell you what it means in the Greek. We're very clever. And not only did we learn it in the Greek, but we gathered together. I got my brothers and sisters together and we talked about what it might be like one day if we actually did what you told us to do. And so, Dad, are you proud of us? Francis Chan said, you know what I'd say at that moment? He'd say, go and clean your room. We can be devoted to the Word of God, but it's not about memorising Scripture. It's not about knowing a Bible verse that we can quote an appropriate time and look like we're spiritually mature. It's about not only knowing and memorising and understanding the Word of God, but it's more importantly about living it out. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, we can talk about it till the cow comes home and jumps over the moon, but Jesus says, go and do it. What does it look like to make disciples? We can talk about what it looks like to love people radically and be part of a community, but, but God wants us to go, well, well, how can I love people? God, help me to love people, even the unlovable. Help me to contribute to a community that's real and genuine. To be devoted to the Word of God is so incredibly important. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching for rebuking, for correcting and for training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're talking about being people on mission. We need to be equipped by the word of God if we're going to do it effectively. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's not a dead history book. It's alive. It's God's word. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. This early Christian community were devoted to God's word and here at Follow Baptist Church, we want to be devoted to God's word as well. The second thing that I want to focus on this morning is it says that they were devoted to fellowship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So the question is, what is fellowship? Well, if you've been in church for a number of years, um, you probably have an understanding that fellowship is a cup of tea and a biscuit after a service. The service host might have said, hey, why don't you hang around and enjoy some fellowship over a cup of tea and a bicky? And so we think, great, for the next six or seven minutes, I can have a cup of tea and a biscuit and I can tick off fellowship for the week. I've done it. Fellowship was awesome this week. Seven minutes of it was great. So good. And it's no doubt that food can be included in fellowship. We're going to touch on that in a minute. But fellowship is so much deeper than that. It's like the word has been hijacked and whittled down to be something as superficial as a high and by for seven minutes on a weekend. It's like it's lost the depth and richness of the actual meaning. And so what is fellowship? Is it friendship? Well, I would hope that it would include friendship. But I actually think it's even deeper than friendship. 
You see, friendship occurs when you gravitate to someone generally um, because you're in the same space regularly or because you have the same interests or you enjoy their company. And with friendship, we tend to avoid people who are different to us. We tend to stay away from people because what unites us are common experiences and common interests. And so I think that fellowship is even deeper than friendship because fellowship occurs when people are united around and by something or someone significant. Verse 44 of this passage, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, as Christians, we believe that we are united by the most significant person in history. His name's Jesus Christ, God in human form. And I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus and I talk about Jesus, he is my everything. And so if you have Jesus in common, if you love him like I love him, if he's your saviour and Lord, then as far as I'm concerned, we have everything in common. We may have differences in uh, sporting you know, pursuits and, and different interests and different foods we like, but we're united by Jesus. Last week we spoke about the Holy Spirit and his role. And his role is to unite us together and point us back to Jesus as the very centre of who we are individually and as a community. And this is one of the things I love most about Christian fellowship. And that is this, that we are not united by anything else other than Christ. It's Christ that unites us together. We might have similar interests, we may have similar likes and dislikes, but that's not what brings us into this room today. That's not what unites us. It's Christ who unites us and he has got to be the centre. And like I said before, we tend to believe and act at times like we are the most important in communi- person in community. We are ourselves the most important person. And sometimes we can think, well, if everyone was like me, this community would be awesome. I mean, if everyone barracked for St Kilda, there's no doubt, this place would be a better place. Uh, what do you, in the word somewhere. Um, there'll only be saints in heaven, there'll be no demons. I'll be cast out. You might as well jump on board now. Get on board, on the up. We sort of think, well, if everyone liked crunchy peanut butter and raisin toast, then that would be just like a touch of heaven. We could do it every morning tea and everyone would be happy. And, you know, peanut allergies would be great. Sometimes we think, well, everyone thought the way I thought, did the things I did, said the things I said, liked the things I liked, then what an amazing community this would be. The truth is it would be flaming awful. Awful. Everyone liked what I liked. It would be awful. It would be bland be lifeless. One of the things I love about Christian community is that it's unity amongst diversity. I love that. It's described, we're described as the body of Christ. It's not a thousand years. That'd be eerie. <laughs> We've all got a different... Oh, these, come, these are just coming naturally. They're not, even they're, not in the, they're not in the notes. This is like a pastoral and a dad anointing at once. It's amazing. I myself away sometimes. In the body of Christ, we all play a different role. That's a wonderful thing. We all have a different role to play. You're here today and you bring something unique to fellowship at Follow Baptist Church. It wouldn't be the same place without you. God's gifted you. He's given you different personalities and backgrounds and gifts and abilities and passions. And as we bring them together, united around one thing, that's Jesus, we end up being part of a community that's got colour, vibrancy, All the colours blend into one in a powerful way as we meet together regularly, as we love each other deeply, 
united by the cross of Jesus Christ. Brad House in his book Community says, Christians or not, we have an intrinsic need for community. We all suffer from the isolation that sin breeds. Our neighbours are desperate to belong and be connected to a people. Some try to rebuild community through social action, campaigns, planning better cities, revitalising neighbourhoods, schools or feeding the homeless. Others join gangs or social clubs. They immerse themselves in virtual communities online or hang out in coffee shops. It's Rowan. These are all attempts to satisfy the need for community. But the problem is that none of these solutions address the real problem. They don't address the cause of isolation. The sin that disintegrates our communities and alienates us from one another is what put Jesus on the cross. It's what Jesus did at the cross through his death and through his resurrection that brings us back together as one. People chosen, people forgiven, a people dearly loved with a common mission to bless the world and to share the good news with others. So as we read this passage, what did fellowship actually look like? Well, there's three things in here that keep jumping off the page at me and they all start with the word F. Food, it's a good one. Frequency and favour, the three things that characterise this community. So let's start with food. Verse 42 said, They devoted themselves, and it says, to the breaking of bread. In verse 46, it says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Communion is one of the things we do here as a church uh, every month and it's something that is pivotal in our lives and in our faith as we gather together around the Lord's table and we remember his body broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to do that in just a few moments. But I don't think it's just talking about communion in this passage because back in those times, they would often have communion around a communal meal They'd be sitting in each other's homes, eating and enjoying fellowship and doing communion and eating dinner at the same time. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the first chapter of Acts chapter 1 where Jesus is is saying to his disciples some of the most important words and some of the last words he spoke on earth. And it started with these words. It says, while he was eating with them. That is golden words for the men, isn't it? While he was eating with them. Women, if you're writing notes down today, write this down. A way to a man's heart is through his stomach. A way to a man's heart is through food. Men, if you're writing notes today, write this down. A way to a woman's heart is chocolate. <laughs> At least in my household. That's good marriage advice right there. Write it down. Live by it and you'll have a happy marriage. In all seriousness, food is a gift from God that is given to us by God and it's a great way of connecting with one another. As we read through the Gospels, we see many pivotal moments with Jesus and his disciples and one of the common denominators is it's so often done around this gift of food. You've probably experienced it at dinner parties at your house. When you, you meet with people, something happens. We, we read in um, ancient times that they used to recline in their seats around the table and I can just picture Jesus and his disciples because I've had dinner parties myself and I can just picture them laughing and chatting. I can picture some of the deep conversations wrestling with things, wrestling with questions. I can picture fun and fellowship and that's just what's happening on the outside. But on the inside, relationship is deepening. Faith is increasing. Community is developing. Discipleship is happening around food. I think as a church it's so important that we create opportunities to gather around food and to be in each other's lives. In September we're going to start doing lunches every second week here at church. And on week one of every month, we're going to do what we call bring and share. 
We're going to encourage you guys to, to bring enough food to feed you and your family and, and a little bit left over to bless some others. We're a generous church. We just love bringing some extra. And so when visitors come, they can stay and enjoy lunch with us. You can heat it up in the microwave. You can bring some sandwiches, whatever you like. And we're going to gather together as a community. We're going to have lunch together. On the third week of the month, we're going to do a community lunch. That means we're going to leave this building. We're going to go over to the shops and we're going to bless some local businesses and we're going to uh, eat their food and we're going to pay them for it. And then we're going to gather together and we're going to build relationship with them and with us as a community. It's so important that we find time and space in our busy schedules to gather around food and to go deeper in relationship. Jesus often used food to bring his disciples together. The second thing I notice in this community is frequency. It's not like the radio frequency. I mean, like the amount of time they gathered together. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with, together with glad and sincere hearts. In the Bible exposition commentary on page 411, it says this, The Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for services as usual. They met daily. They cared daily. They increased in number daily. They searched the scriptures daily. They won souls daily. Their Christian was a faith-to-faith, day-to-day reality, not a once-a-week routine. Why? Because the risen Christ was a living reality, reality to them and his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the Holy Spirit. As I said before, we need to consider our culture. I think there's some churches that are trying to reproduce exactly what happened in ancient times in the Middle East, in modern times in the current West, and I'm not convinced that it will work. I'm not sure that we'll ever meet together daily. But what we need to do is be deliberate in finding ways of having some rhythm in our relationship that is beyond the high and by of a weekend service. I think MCGs will be an important part to journey with a group of people in a, in a deeper kind of way. I think our prayer meetings will be important. This passage says they were devoted to prayer. It's a pretty novel thought, isn't it? Sometimes it's a foreign thought. They were devoted to prayer. Not something they did when they needed a breakthrough. They, they were devoted to prayer. Imagine if our prayer services were packed once a month when we meet or, or pre-service every week. We couldn't get enough room in that room so we had to find another room. Imagine if our prayer services were packed because we were people devoted to prayer. Perhaps there's nothing that reflects the heart of a church more than the size of their prayer meetings. They were devoted to prayer. It's going to take each of us finding ways deliberately and proactively to be in one another's lives, homes, spaces, together, building relationship proactively will be so important. You see, there was a frequency that demonstrated for them that community was a priority. There was a frequency that demonstrated that community was a priority. There needs to be for us as well. The final F that I notice in this passage is favour. Verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 47 says, Praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I so want to see this at follow. I so want to see people coming to know Jesus. I so want to see people in a relationship with him that will change their lives as they respond to the gospel. I so want to see people set free from the power of sin and death. I so want to see people filled with the hope and joy of their salvation. I so want to see a community that is genuine and real and transparent and Christ-honouring. As they devoted themselves, as they 
devoted themselves to Christ through his word and through fellowship with one another. They saw his favour in their midst and on their lives. I have a dream and I hope we have a dream to be part of a community like this. I want to finish today with a challenge. I want to challenge you to think about what you can do to contribute to a community such as the one we read of in Acts chapter 2. And the challenge is really this, not just to look at what the community was like, but to examine what the people were like. Because a community is only ever the subtotal of everyone who becomes part of that community. You're an important part of this community. And like I said before, the biggest obstacle to community will only ever be ourselves. Are we devoted to the things that they were devoted to? And if not, what needs to change? For some of us, for the first time in our life, we're going to have to reevaluate our schedules. We're going to have to look at all the stuff we're doing and say, what is the most important stuff? We're going to have to think about ways that we can start meeting regularly with others and that become a priority in our lives. Maybe we've done it before, but it's time to go back and say, God, help us to reevaluate and to reprioritise community. For others, MCGs or small groups for the first time in your life will become something that's a non-negotiable in your life, that you will just block out other things in your schedule in order to find an opportunity to gather with a group of people around the Word. For others, it'll be starting a Bible reading plan, starting to get serious about consuming the Word of God so that it will change you and mould you to be a person who loves Him and a person who's on mission. For others, it'll be the prayer life, you'll realise my prayer life is not where it needs to be. I need the Holy Spirit to help me, to convict me, to challenge me, to be someone who presses in in prayer. It might mean coming to the monthly prayer meeting. It might mean coming a few minutes early and gathering with Wayne and Virginia and myself this morning and Cheryl to pray, not just for the service but for the community. Maybe it's using the gift that God's given you. Perhaps it's a gift of hospitality. And you'll be challenged by God to, to use that gift of hospitality to open up your home, to connect with people who may be lonely or don't have friends, to invite them over for dinner, to host an MCG. You see, we need the Holy Spirit to help us with this. It'll be different for each of us. But as we devote ourselves to the Lord, as we devote ourselves to one another, I believe the dream of Christian community can be realised in powerful and maybe even surprising ways here at Follow Baptist Church. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to pray. Lord God, I thank you that we're a community. And we're a community because we're united around you. I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And we're going to celebrate that in just a moment. But I pray that we would remember to always keep you at the centre. I pray the centre would never be self, what I want, what I need. But it will always be you. Help us to be reminded of who you are and what you're like. And help us to reflect who you are to the world around us. As we do that, Lord, I pray for a love for one another that's incredibly deep, that's incredibly real, that's more than just a once a week gathering in a high and buyer in a cuppa. I pray that it would be something that is transformational, life-changing, the kind of community that people who aren't Christians would look at us and go, wow, there's something different about them. Look at the way they love one another. They, they talk about this Jesus, but they follow him as well. But I pray that we would be like a lighthouse in our community as we live these kind of lives individually and most importantly as a community. Lord, help us with this. We understand there's things in our lives that are blockages. We know there's an inherent selfishness that comes because of the effects of sin on our lives. We know that there is 
time restrictions. We know that there are other things that are going on. So, Lord, I pray that you guide us, give us wisdom to be able to re-examine our lives and to make priority of community. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.